Amen. Hey, that's right. We are in section two of Judaism. Once again, an inner study, world religions, cults, and the occult. We made it through the exciting introduction. How many guys texted that out or called somebody or at least put it on Facebook? We made it through the introduction. I know you're out there, but anyway, that's right. But we're into that second part there with Judaism and what's going on with the Jewish people. And uh, we saw, again, uh, with the history of Judaism, not only the importance of they are important because they are the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, the God's timeline with the manly man timeline uh, episode that we had, uh, that they're very important, dealing with the first coming of the Messiah who would undo the devil's works, okay? He would crush the head of the serpent, okay? That's Jesus Christ. But as we've been seeing the last couple of weeks, they're also very important to note and when regards to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And of all people, all entities, once again, God chose the Jewish people to be that indicator that is getting close for the second coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, okay? And that's what we've been seeing so far, is that they would uh, return to the land again, okay? How do you know you're getting close to the last days? They'll be returned to the land. Did that happen yet? Uh-huh. We also saw that they've become a nation again. That happened yet? 1948, they become a nation one day. It's exactly how it happened. They become united. Their currency become the shekel. 1980, they blossom as a rose in the desert. And that's where we left off last time was two more of those aspects. And that is that Israel would have a powerful military. Now, if you're here, there was some pretty interesting stats that we saw because Israel, we saw the square footage, the current square footage of Israel, you could fit 20 and a half Israels in the state of California. Not a very big piece of real estate on the planet. Yet, they have the strongest military uh, in that region, hands down. I think they're number 11 in the world powers, but they are number three of the countries on the planet with nukes. Anywhere from 80 to 400. Number three, they're only below United States and Russia. It's 20 and a half Israels can fit in the state of California, and yet you're number three in the amount of nuclear weapons you have. And why is that important? Because Zechariah says, on that day, I will make the leaders of Judah like a fire pot in a wood pile, like a flaming torch among sheaves that will consume right and left all the peoples, but Jerusalem will remain in uh, place, intact, okay? So you try to mess with Israel, what's going to happen? <laughs> you don't want to do it, man. Uh, you're going to get consumed, okay? Then we saw with the Gog and Magog prophecy in Ezekiel uh, 38 and 39, we're going to take a look at that. Uh, once again, and that kind of leads into that other aspect, and this is the final one here, not only a powerful military, but they become a conflict in the world. That's another passage in Zechariah. I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem on that day when all the nations of the earth, how many nations? All the nations of the earth are gathered against her. I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to uh, move it <clears throat> will injure themselves. Okay, so don't mess with Israel, okay? Very uh, important piece. Now, we saw conflict. I mean, again, put it in this context as we saw last time. This is a small, teeny, tiny piece of real estate on the whole planet. We're not talking about China's going to become a conflict, Russia's going to become a conflict, but a little piece of real estate that 20 of them, over 20 of them, you can fit in California. What? It, it, but that's what we see in the news every single night, right? And it's escalating even more so. Now, we left off last time. Here's a couple of reasons why I believe. Certainly the proximity factor with Jerusalem and uh, Israel there and the Jewish people, uh, that is basically a good foothold if you want to get a foothold in the Middle East, right? So the proximity in general of all places, okay, that would be something that would create a conflict why people would want to get in there and and all that stuff. Then we saw also the resources. Remember the oil found that they just found? We'll get to that in just a second, okay? And then we saw also spiritual, okay? Now, it's these two tonight I want to add to, okay? Because we kind of had to cut it off pretty quick last time. I want to add to those two aspects. How and why is Israel uh, such a state of conflict? Now, to get to that point, we're going to go back again, what's going on in the news right now with Russia and Syria and all that stuff that's going on. 
Now, I fully believe to understand that, you need to go back to Ezekiel, that we saw the Gog and Magog prophecy. Now, we already saw when you add up the nations, their current names, because back 2,600 years ago when this was written, they were called something else. But if you do your geographical homework, here's what those nations are. How do you know you're living the last days? 2,600 years ago, these nations would come against Israel to try to annihilate them. Russia, Turkey, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, Libya, Syria, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia, and Lebanon. Sound familiar? Basically, the Islamic uh, countries all around Israel who's wanting to annihilate Israel. Now, let's read. Before I read some more current stuff that's going on with Russia and Syria, and is this Gog and Magog, and are they really equipping these other smaller nations to come against Israel, which is the prophecy says is going to happen, and God's going to annihilate them. Okay, let's take a look at that passage again. I quoted to you last time a little snippet, but I want you to read it tonight. Ezekiel 38. Let's turn there. And again, this was written about 2,600 years ago. Okay, Ezekiel 38, dealing with the last days. And again, I'm one of the guys that kind of hold that this is something that takes place just prior to the seven-year tribulation, okay? And uh, so Ezekiel 38, and again, the point with that is we don't know the day nor the hour with the rapture, but uh, if this takes place prior to the seven-year tribulation and the rapture takes place prior to the seven-year tribulation and we're seeing this event starting to come to pass, <laughs> something's getting close, Okay, well, let's take a look at Ezekiel 38. We're going to read 38 <clears throat> and then go into about half of uh, 39 as we start to take what God's going to do to those people that come against Israel. Here's what it says. The word of the Lord came to, <clears throat> to me, son of man, set your face against Gog, the ruler in the land of Magog, as we defined was uh, Russia. Uh, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I'm going to turn you around, put hooks in your jaws. And bring you out in your whole army, your whole horses, your horsemen fully armed, the great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords, Persia, Cush, and Put will be with them, with all shields and helmets, also Gomer and its troops, Beth to Gorma, and the far north with all its troops and the many nations with you. And again, if you translate that, that's the countries that I mentioned uh, just a little bit ago. Get ready, be prepared, you and all the hordes. Notice again, it's a, war. it's a massive army. Hordes is what's being used here. A massive army gathered with many different countries coming against Israel. And the hordes are gathered about you and take command of them. Okay, After many days, you will be called to arms. In future years, <clears throat> you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of where? Israel, which has long been desolate. Remember we saw that when the blossom is a rose in the desert? Right? Not anymore. Now it's blossoming, but it was completely desolate uh, uh, wasteland. Anyway, it had been desolate. They had been brought out from the nations, and now all of them live in safety. You and all your troops and the many nations with you will go up, advancing like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. Again, imagine this is a massive, incredible land invasion coming against Israel, the mountains of Israel there. This is what the sovereign Lord says on that day. Thoughts will come into your mind. He's talking to this ruler guy from this Gog of Magog, <clears throat> and you will devise an evil scheme. You're going to get a bad thought. You think it's a good idea, but mm -mm. okay. And you will say, aha, I will invade a land of unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls and without gates and bars. I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations, rich in livestock. And notice why he's wanting to do it. What do these people have? Resources right? Lots of resources. I want your resources, okay? Resell the ruins, gather from the nation, rich in livestock and goods, living at the center of the land. Uh, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all her villages will say to you, have you come to what? 
plunder. We're getting once the stuff. Have you gathered your hordes to loot, to carry out the silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, and to seize much plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In that day when my people Israel are living in safety, will you not take notice of it? You will come from your place where? In the far north, where's Russia? Far north. And you and many nations with you, all of them riding on what? Horses. Okay, a great horde, a mighty army. You will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land. In days to come, O God, I'll bring you against my land so that the nations uh, may know me when I show myself holy uh, through you before their eyes. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Are you not the one I spoke of in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel? Now let's go down, okay, into uh, 39. He, he basically says he's going to basically completely annihilate him. He says that again here in 39. Son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I'm going to turn you around and drag you along. I'm going to bring you from the far north and send you against the mountains again of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel, you will fall. You and all your troops and the nations with you, I will listen, give you as food to all kinds of carrying birds and to wild animals. You will fall in the open field for I have spoken, declares the Lord. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in the safety in the coastlands and they will know that I am the Lord. I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will no longer let my holy name be profaned and the nations will know that I, the Lord, am the Holy One in Israel. It is coming. It will surely take place, declares the sovereign Lord. This is the day I've spoken. Listen, then, so after God decimates them, listen, then those who live in the towns of Israel will go out and use the weapons for fuel and burn them up. The small and large shields and bows and arrows, war clubs and spears. For seven years, they will use them for fuel. They will not need to gather wood from the fields or cut from the forest because they will use the weapons for fuel. And they will plunder those who plundered them and loot those who looted them, declares the sovereign Lord. Okay? So basically, do we see any signs of something like this coming to pass? Do we see this great power from the north work in conjunction with all these other nations that were mentioned here, uh, and they want to come against and specifically annihilate Israel? And specifically, notice what the deal was. He's going to get this great idea. You know what? I tell you what, time is ripe. Ha, ha, ha. I'm going to come with all these nations, okay, and I'm going to use those guys as a tool, and I want to plunder you. I want your resources, now, this is what we talked about in theory. Why is there so much conflict over there? Why is Israel such a conflict? Okay, and I think that conflict that was prophesied in Zechariah is giving fulfillment uh, to Ezekiel 38 and 39. That it's going to lead, this conflict is going to lead to the war. And they really want not just a foothold in there, Russia, but they really want Israel's resources. Okay, they want their resources, and then we'll get into the spiritual in a second. Now, let me give you some stuff that's going on in the news. Three weeks ago, President Vladimir Putin uh, contacted Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, and made an offer that he believed he couldn't refuse. Putin offered to guarantee the safety of Israel's newly discovered oil fields, the gas fields there, right? Remember we saw last week they just discovered that, and this is the world's... So Russia comes in and says, hey, we'll guarantee you safety. Okay, uh, with the Russian military. We'll help you make sure that you keep hold of this. Netanyahu politely declined. No, thank you. The very next week, on the direct orders of Putin, fighter jets, tanks, sophisticated battlefield communications equipment, and special forces began landing in Syria. Is it just about ISIS? 
Notice the timing. Very interesting. And notice what was going to be Gog uh, wanting to do to Israel. I want what you got. Okay? After just one week, Russian forces carved out a safe zone from which they can operate. Russian troops have engaged in active combat, as we all know. Even more alarmingly, Russia has also deployed advanced S-300 anti-aircraft missile batteries to bolster their force there. The question, though, is against whom are they exactly are these highly advanced missiles to be deployed? ISIS doesn't have an air force. Who are they meant to detour? The missiles are to detour Israel. This impressive Russian arsenal is further augmented by the ominous presence of a Russian nuclear submarine off the coast of Syria in the Mediterranean. This provides Russia the ultimate deterrence if it were needed. Clearly, Russia is in Syria for the long term, not the short term. Russia's aim in Syria uh, seems to be th uh, threefold. First, defend the uh, Syrian port there in Tardis, and this is a seaport that is the center of Russian aspirations uh, because it is a strategic goal uh, for uh, Putin to dominate the Mediterranean area uh, with a military force. Without a functioning deep seaport, this is impossible. So he needs to have that port, okay, for that reason. Second, the aim is to maintain power of Bashir al-Assad. Assad is a proxy ruler of Syria on behalf of Russia. Assad knows fully well that the only reason why he and his family are still alive is because of Vladimir Putin. He's a puppet of him. And recently, Putin has been taken aback by ISIS and their string of uh, victories over Assad's forces and now recognizes the genuine possibility that without Russian intervention, Assad uh, and Syria might fall to ISIS. So why is he really over there? Well, I've got to keep this puppet guy going because if he goes down, then I'm going to lose my foothold in the area that ultimately I want your goods. Starting to sound familiar? Interesting. If, if it's, uh, Assad uh, uh, falls, Putin's hold over Syria will fail, and his influence over the entire Middle East will suffer a devastating blow. Russia's real access to the Middle East is through Syria. Therefore, Putin will not let Assad fall. The final objective, Russia, to Israel, regards the hook that God himself will place in Gog's jaw. At some point, Gog will have, and this is why I wanted you to read this, because this is like, it's like reading the news, reading the Bible. Right? Gog will have an evil thought and will determine to invade a beautiful land to take spoil. It seems increasingly likely that this evil thought centers on the Leviathan gas fields in Israel, an oil field so vast it could dwarf the existing Saudi and Iraqi fields making Israel, or whoever owns it, listen, the richest nation on planet Earth. These oil fields also sit within what Russia perceives as their legitimate sphere of influence. It's within their grasp. So they need to have control of Syria to get that foothold there. ISIS is an excuse to get their presence. Interesting. We live, he says this, in truly days of awe, we are blessed to see what we see today. We are witnessing the real-time buildup of a horde that will seek to vanquish God's very own inheritance, as described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Multitudes in the past have gazed at these days from afar through the lens of Scripture, yet we are privileged to see these events in real time in present-day reality. And there sits little Israel, sitting all alone in the Middle East. Little Israel, sitting on an oil field of immense size and almost incalculable value. Little Israel, hated and scorned by all nations of the world, including, guess who's going down that route? America. Openly despised, seemingly without a true friend, a real protector. Little Israel, isolated, alone, very exposed, or so God thinks. God himself, on that day, will stand up and fight on her behalf, and woe to Gog and his allies, for mighty is the Lord, and he will save her. 
Now, I was focused more on the gas fields, the oil fields, and all that kind of stuff as resources, and I think that's a legitimate reason why Russia is over there right now. It very well does this tie in the 38 and 39 Ezekiel. I certainly think so. Okay, still don't know the date and the hour, but boy, it's getting pretty amazing, okay? But I think uh, there's another reason for the plunder, okay? God, remember God, uh, we, we saw a couple weeks back that Israel, how many times was the Bible called Israel? It's a good land. It's a, a wonderful land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. This is an awesome place. You want to live here of all places. Well, part of it uh, is not only just because of the oil fields, but it's part of it is because other resources that are there. Now, this is what Brian shared with me when we finished last week, and sure enough, uh, he sent me the link and checked it out, and you got to be kidding me. You think the oil field? No wonder everybody wants to take Israel. No wonder it's become a source of conflict. No wonder these people are going to try to gather against her in the last days, because it isn't just the oil. That's the tip of the iceberg of the resources that they're sitting on. The big resource that they have over there, believe it or not, we don't think much of this, but it's the Dead Sea. Okay, watch this. Uh, God dug a tremendous hole in the earth many years ago to store treasure in for his people, Israel. And it staggers the imagination. The lowest elevation on earth's surface is the Dead Sea. <clears throat> the way God arranged things, the Jordan River and its tributaries have been washing minerals down, minerals down into that hole for thousands of years. And in recent years, it's been found to be the most valuable depository of strategic chemicals in the world. It is estimated that the potential value of the potash, the bromine, and other chemical salts in this water is four times the wealth of the United States. Somebody might want to get their hands on that. You thought the oil was, whoa, enticing? What, what's the evil thought? Aha. Right? Now, with a tremendous worldwide food shortage that threatens mankind, any would-be dictator would take high risks to capture a treasure like this, which could furnish, listen, this is what these chemicals can provide, <clears throat> enough fertilizer for the whole world and with its other chemicals to provide the explosive needed to subdue all their enemies. So they, they propose the appropriate question. Once again, why are they there? Why do you think the Kremlin has spent billions helping the Arabs fight Israel? Is it because they like the Arabs? No. There is little love lost between them. Russia wants the riches of Israel and a strategic location for world domination. The Arabs outnumber Israel 50 to 1. And it seemed like a simple technique. So Russia, you know, if you will, goes and backs the Arabs, right? And surely there's 50 to 1, they're going to take Israel. They lose every single time, right? And of course, then they could go up easily, Russia, take care of the Arabs, and then they take over, right? But they let them do the dirty work. That seemed to be the plan. But the godless uh, gang in the Kremlin never took consideration that our creator has all this written down in his book and his plans for Israel and the disposal of her enemies. The men in Kremlin have now seen the handwriting on the wall that Israel beats her foes badly every single time. So Russia is now plotting to do the job herself. They begin preparing, listen, a tremendous invasion force to go down there over the mountains of Syria to seize Israel. For years, people laughed at the prophecy that, God, uh, that after God destroyed the great army in the mountains that are in the northern part uh, of Israel, that Israel would, listen, have to not buy fuel for seven years. Remember, we just read that, so I wanted to read it. That she would be burning weapons of her enemy, and people laughed. Only recently has it been known that the tanks and weapons of this army are made of non-metallic materials which burn like coal to thwart the Israeli metal-seeking tactical atomic missiles. 
Reuters news agency has reported large Russian purchases of special archery equipment from England so powerful and accurate that it can shoot an arrow through a man's heart at 100 yards and still keep going. And it's no secret that Russia has bought up a large number of horses recently of a type best adapted for a military invasion through the mountains. Sound familiar? Written 2,600 years ago. Christians, he says, this is not a pipe dream. These are carefully authenticated facts which fit perfectly into the pattern of Bible prophecy. Let's get busy while there is yet time rescuing those who still need to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior before it's too late. Amen? Man, I tell you what, it is getting close. We don't know the date or the hour, but time to get motivated. Time to, if you're going to have to make a choice between the white meat and the brown meat, go for the white. Might as well live it up, right? Uh, but anyway, now, that's just, I want to give a little recap, a little bit more of the reason. Why is it such a conflict over there? What's going on with Ezekiel 38, 39? And a little bit more exploding on the resources and certainly the news with Russia and Syria. What are they really over there for? I think there's a longer-term goal, and that's the hook. Okay, now, then we also left off on the spiritual aspect there. Okay, what's going on? That's why I believe it's adding to the conflict because it just so happens that the major headquarters of three world's major religions is right there in Jerusalem. Uh, and then we saw, of course, with the Vatican and the Pope, uh, they're over there and they want to build a new one world religion headquarters of all places where? Jerusalem, not in Beijing, not in Moscow, not in New York City, but in Jerusalem. So that's gonna add to the conflict, right? Again, that's, so Israel, 20 and a half of them fit in California. Why is this such big news? You add all these things together, and it's like, no wonder it's on the news every single night. It's, a, just like God said, a major source of world uh, conflict. But I want to take a look at that. We talked about how they want to ultimately, the goal is called the New Jerusalem Covenant, and they want to combine uh, the, the Muslim, the Jewish, uh, and the so-called Christian sectors of Jerusalem into one. And we left off where they were going, their, their plan, you know, however, if it pulls off this way or whatever, but this is their plan as stated, that they want to then have three global festivals in this new global religion, uh, the Festival of Goodwill, the Festival of Easter, and the Festival of Wesak. Okay, And we saw then again with the history of New Age, Okay, that's one of the things that they're uh, pushing in Okay, uh, at, with that. Okay, But we also saw that the Pope and the Vatican are also working along with this. Uh, but what they're also doing uh, is they are working at trying okay, to annihilate uh, Christianity and Christians. Okay, and we know that that's going to come. Okay, open uh, to Matthew 24. Jesus warned about this, and he's talked about how they don't just want a global religion, okay, but they want to have a global annihilation of anybody who follows Jesus Christ. Okay, but uh, Matthew 24, okay, and uh, Jesus talks about this, verse 3, and then we'll read down. As Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? How do we know it's getting close? Well, uh, Jesus answered the first thing. What did he say? Watch out that nobody deceives you. I don't have time to get into this, but characteristic throughout Matthew 24, deceit, 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 deceit. False prophets, false teachers, false Christ. Don't, it's such a powerful deceit coming, man. It's going to be so powerful. It might even deceive the elect if that were possible. So deceit, a lot of deceit going on today. Yeah, we don't even know the half of it. But, so that's the first thing he says, and that's what he says. And many is going to come in my name and claiming I am the Christ. Notice we saw last time with New Age, who's also pushing this, global religion, get rid of those nasty Christians and all that stuff. Uh, that's their phrase, that we can become the Christ consciousness, that you could be the Christ, right? And Jesus says, hey, listen, there's going to be many claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Then you're going to hear uh, 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 rumors of wars and, 
uh, wars and rumors of wars. But see to it, you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations are going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains, okay? Uh, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and to be what? Put to death. And you'll be hated by how many? All nations because of who? Me, who's me? Jesus. So all nations are going to hate anybody who specifically follows Jesus Christ. Now, the timing of the context here is during the seven-year tribulation. Okay? Now, that's not you and I. You and I get to leave the planet, praise God. That's the benefit of get saved now. Okay? And you get to leave at the rapture prior to the seven-year tribulation. However, there are people who can get saved uh, during the seven-year tribulation that we saw before. You got the gospel still going forth, right? You got the two witnesses that's going forth. You got the angel that declares the gospel. You got the 144,000 male Jewish uh, evangelists. And according, there is a, a harvest that's talked about there uh, in the scripture in Revelation <clears throat> that a lot of people are going to respond. The problem is they're going to respond by, by literally getting their heads chopped off. There's going to be a massive martyrdom. So the point is you need to get saved now and avoid the whole thing. But there's going to be a global persecution specifically of anybody who follows Jesus Christ. Now, where we left off last time, he's like, are you serious? Are there plans to really specifically annihilate Christians? Yeah, big time. We saw that. Now, what I want to share, <clears throat> build on that a little bit, this is where we had to cut off last time. Okay, but we saw last time with the, the New Age and how they literally said, you know, they can't wait till the, you know, the guts of the last preacher and Christians sing about the blood. Let's give them some of that. That's their quotes. That's how much they, oh, they really want to get rid of you and I, Christians. But another one, again, who's involved in this religious coup to bring about a global religion and global headquarters? That's what we saw with the Vatican. Now, what's wild is we just came across this when uh, flying to uh, Chester. Hey, Chester, Illinois, home of Popeye, in case you're wondering. And that's right. Talk to me later. It's the real reason why Popeye got fired up, and it was not spinach. But uh, I'll save that little teaser for later. All right, it was whiskey. But anyway, let's move on. I digress. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But anyway, I digress. You guys online have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyways, we're on a plane, right? We're flying out and preaching out there in Illinois. And uh, Reed comes across this little thing, and it's the Jesuit Extreme Oath of Induction. How many guys read that on the back of your Cheerios box this morning? Yeah. Well, he came across. He said, man, watch this. I'll read this little portion. You go, what? Are you serious? Right? Now, the, it's the Jesuit Oath. You've heard of Jesuit priests and the Jesuit priesthood? Okay. Well, this is the oath that they have to take. Now, the concerning thing is not only what I'm about to read, excuse me, this is really what you're pledging to do and to uphold, but guess who is a Jesuit? Pope Francis. Who's the guy that's going around the planet right now as we speak, corralling, trying to get all the global religions to come under the umbrella of Rome? Who's the guy that was over here just recently in the United States, and he's like some sort of a pop star, right? And the media just went, oh, God, over this guy, right? Can't mention the name of Jesus in school. <laughs> But the Pope comes over here, and he's having global festival days and all this stuff, and he's at 9-11 down there <clears throat> praying with all the major religions on the planet. We're all one. Whoa, this just happened. The problem is he's a Jesuit. Here's the oath they have to take. This is what this Pope has promised to do. Remember Matthew 24, they're going to hate you. Anybody who follows Jesus Christ, we're going to kill you. <clears throat> now, this isn't the whole thing. It's a large document ceremony, but you can go find it. And it's the Jesuit Extreme Oath of Induction. Go look it up yourself. The superior says, heretofore to the candidate, heretofore you have been uh, taught to act as a uh, dissembler and to be a spy. So what's the whole purpose of this order? To go spy. On who? Among the reformers, to be a reformer. Among the Protestants, to be a Protestant. 
specifically a spy, on you and I. Obtaining their confidence to seek to even preach from their pulpit. Remember the video I showed you guys with Kenneth Copeland bringing in the message from the Pope in there and the bishop was in his pulpit? Remember that? And it's happening all over the place and a bunch of you're seeing a lot of Protestant leaders, uh, Rick Warren and, and uh, Joel Olstein and all these guys then going gung over the Pope and working with the Vatican. All right? Obtaining their confidence, seeking to even preach from their pulpits that you might be enabled to gather all information for the benefit of your order as a faithful soldier of the Pope. Now, Here's the response, and this isn't all of it, okay? But this is, gives you a taste. Here is the extreme oath. Here is how the Jesuit priest is promising to do. Here's their oath. I fill in the blank the person's name. Do by declare and swear that his holiness the Pope is Christ's uh, vice regent and is the true and only head of the Catholic or universal church throughout the earth and that he has the power to dispose heretical kings, princes, states, commonwealths, and governments... So who not only wants religious control, but government control around the planet? The same thing it's always been, okay? All being illegal without his sacred confirmation that they may be safely uh, destroyed. Therefore, to the utmost of my power, I shall and will defend this doctrine of his holiness, right, and custom against all usurpers of the heretical or Protestant authority. That's us, specifically against us. Listen to this. I furthermore promise and declare that I will, when the opportunity presents itself, make and wage relentless war, secretly or openly, against all heretics, Protestants, and liberals, as I am directed to, listen, to exterminate them from the face of the whole earth, and that I will spare neither age, sex, or condition, and that I will hang, waste, boil, flay, strangle and bury alive these infamous heretics, rip up the stomachs and wombs of their women, crush their infants' heads against the walls in order to annihilate forever their execrable race. Pope Francis made this oath. And we're chumming up with him as Protestants? Excuse me? Oh, by the way, you hear in the news, those Muslim extremists, they vowed to kill people and they're on their jihad. What's this? What's this? This guy's the Pope now. And he's going around gathering all the world's religions. And what did Jesus say in the last days? All nations are going to hate you. They're going to kill you. Okay, and then he says this. Then, then and that, that's just, he says, then when this cannot be done openly, I will secretly use the poison cup, the strangulating cord, the steel of the poignard, the leaden bullet, regardless of honor, rank, dignity, or authority of the person or persons, whatever may be the condition of their life, either public or private, as I at any time may be directed to do so as an agent of the Pope or superior brotherhood of the Holy Faith, the Society of the Jesuits. Isn't that wild? So that's actually what the Pope's doing, and that's also the motive. See, all these people coming together thinking that, hey, we're all going to get along, we're going to create this global religion, and this isn't a great work with the Vatican, and they are sworn to exterminate you and I. I'm not making this up. This is their own writing, right? But nobody seems to be uh, mentioning this. Okay, so now, once they get all that together, this is what they believe. They believe that the combined festivals, that it's going to create, listen, a new world order religion, and this will be the spiritual equivalent of the political of the United Nations. Again, what are they wanting to do? They're wanting to headquarters this, of course, of all places in Jerusalem. Why is it important? Because the Bible says in the last days it's getting close when you see Jerusalem being in conflict. Why are they such a conflict? Look at all these three things that are going on all at the same time. And they're wanting to establish this global religion headquarters of all places in 
Jerusalem, okay? A lot of these entities. So the question is, are people really going to establish a united nations of religions, a headquarters to govern the religions of the planet, just like the UN governs the governments? Yeah. In fact, various religions right now and leaders are calling for it as we sit here. Let me give you just a couple examples. Uh, King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia has been planning for years to, quote, find a way to unite the world's major religions in an effort to help foster peace. He believes a new international organization will help make that dream a reality. Chief Rabbi Yonah Metzger, and you go, what? The Jewish people? Remember as we saw before, they're going to make a deal with the Antichrist. They're under a temporary blindness. They don't realize what they're doing, right? That they're playing literally with the devil, Okay, but their eyes get open later when he shows his true colors halfway into the seven-year tribulation. But right now, they're falling for it. Okay, he's one of the two chief rabbis in Israel. Listen to this. This is, talk about blunt. Direct quote. We need a united relations of religions, which will contain the representatives of the world's religions as opposed to nations. United, the world's faithful, uh, is key to world peace. We must promote a respect for the differences among various religions. A church, a mosque, a synagogue, a holy temple must be the embassies of God, and we have uh, to spread this idea to our believers. And he suggested that the Dalai Lama could lead the assembly. Now he's starting to get kind of weird. Because what's the Bible say 2,000 years ago? You're going to see two entities rise, Revelation 13, on the planet. One's going to be an Antichrist, political world leader of the revived Roman Empire, I hold to that position, not the Muslim thing that's going around, with all due respect. Uh, but uh, also, you're going to see this religious cohort, a false prophet, who works with him and dupes the world into worshiping the Antichrist. Dalai Lama, Pope, I don't know. But you're starting to see these global religious figures appear as, quote, spokesperson for the planet. And these people are not only wanting to combine all the religions into one and have it governed, but they want a religious spokesperson to oversee the whole thing whoever that ends up being. Muslim leader Adnan Akhtar, you think, well, the Muslims never go along with it. Well, watch this. He recently met with three representatives from the re-established Jewish Sanhedrin. Now, that's pretty wild because the Sanhedrin went out of existence, okay, when Israel was destroyed in 70 AD, right? And they're back on the scene again. That's the same ruling council that was in existence when Jesus came in his first coming. Now they're back on the scene. So this guy meets with the Jewish Sanhedrin to discuss how religious Muslims, Jews, and Christians can work together on building, guess what? A temple, right? An official statement about the meeting has been published on the Sanhedrin's website, quote, we are all uh, sons of one father, the descendants of Adam, and all humanity is but a single family. Peace among nations will be achieved through building the house of God where all peoples will serve. Notice this temple, at least what they're envisioning, is for all religions to come to serve God because supposedly it all leads to God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. But notice it's like this international global temple now, religious center, okay? Uh, anyway, Oktar added that the temple will be rebuilt and all believers will worship there in tranquility. Quote, the temple could be rebuilt in one year. Interesting. And Shimon Peres, the former president of Israel, uh, met with, guess who, recently? Pope Francis. Pope Francis, to discuss the idea of creating a UN-like organization that he called the United Religions to, quote, bring an end to the wars raging in the Middle East and around the world. Wow, that sounds kind of weird. All that seems to be coming to pass. Okay, but so they get this all built together. Now, what they believe is when they get uh, all the religions to come together as one, uh, they believe that then you could also have a political uh, uh, convergence 
uh, and they believe that once the uh, religious communities come together, political governments are going to come, and they're going to have their own little three things. The religious has their three festivals. They believe that they're going to uh, have conferences called the Planetary Goodwill Congress, the Planetary Human Resource and Disarmament Congress, and the Planetary Environmental Resource and Space Congress. When the three religious conferences and the three political business conferences are simultaneously held, listen to what they say, a grand merger of all forces will occur worldwide that will move the world in a desired direction. What's that mean? Global control. Because they believe that they, and they realize that, listen, we can control all the governments around the world, but that's not total control. You're still going to have, quote, chaos. And see, they think this is going to usher in a time of peace and utopia. They fully recognize you also have to control all the religions. So when you control all the religions and you control the governments and you all come together under one headship, we got it. Quote, then and only then will it be possible to build a combination temple, church, mosque in Jerusalem. Why is that place always on the news? Why is everybody always talking about Israel? What's going on there? They're a source of conflict right? You got all these things going on at the same time. You got the proximity right smack dab in the middle of the east. You got all these amazing resources that are mind-blowing. And then you got this whole spiritual element. It's all stirred together. No wonder they're on the news every single night. But I had to share this with you. They also believe, at least, and this is, again, this is according to the New Age, the, the occult. This is what they believe is going to happen. Okay, I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord. But they also believe that at the proper moment in history, the Pope will visit the combined Jewish-Christian-Muslim sector of Jerusalem to announce that all religions should be combined into one. Then, minutes before, uh, the Antichrist, who they think is a good guy, arises, and then some supernatural sound will be heard and spiritually felt by everybody on the whole planet simultaneously. At no other moment in world history will so many people be impacted at once. This action is designed to get everyone looking around and upward as to what caused this sound. Then, with everyone's attention aroused, images of the Antichrist will appear, again, they think he's a good guy, will appear simultaneously over the entire earth, speaking to mankind, each in his own language, quote, their words, not mine, the signs and wonders will have begun. Now, quickly, open to Revelation 13. This is kind of weird. Revelation 13 and let's take a look at what the false prophet's going to do. You know, the global religious figure who dupes people into worshiping the Antichrist. And what, what is he going to use to dupe people? How is he going to get the whole planet to go along with worshiping this Antichrist and this whole global one world government, one world religion, one world economy, and implementing the mark of the beast? Well, let's take a look at some of the chicanery. Okay? Paul tells us that the Antichrist, he has a, a lying signs and wonders. Okay? It's a bunch of chicanery. It's a bunch of baloney. But people don't know. Right? And this is what he talks about. He brings out some interesting uh, nuggets. Uh, beast of the earth, verse 11, chapter 13. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, this false prophet. He had two horns like a lamb, okay, but he spoke like a dragon. Dragon defined by the context is Satan. So this guy, just like the Antichrist, is satanically inspired. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, on his behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. And listen, he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing what? Fire to come down from heaven, the atmosphere, to earth in full view of men. Whoa, we better listen to this guy. We better do as he says. Maybe he really is God or whoever he says he is, and we need to... Because of these signs, he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, the Antichrist. He deceived. So these signs deceived the whole planet, the inhabitants of the earth. 
He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword yet lived, and he was given power to give breath to that image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand and forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he had that mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. So the point is we know that this guy is going to be used. He doesn't have the same power as God but he's going to give the appearance that he's some sort of supernatural guy. He's got this amazing ability. He's got these, if you will, God-like powers, but it's all a bunch of baloney. It's satanic. It's counterfeit. It's lying. Yeah, they're signs and wonders, but they're manufactured. The point is, do we have any technology on the planet that can manufacture some of the stuff that's going on here? That even with what the cult believes, that people on the planet could hear sounds, they could have a voice come inside their head, that fire can be coming down from heaven, and, and people, oh, yeah. And as we close, we get to talk about the exciting technology called harp, right? How many of you guys played the harp? Well, you don't want to play this one. You'll fry your fingers off, okay? Harp stands for the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, okay? It's the world's largest radio broadcasting station, if you will, but it's not designed to broadcast radio for human ears. It uses unique patented ability to focus energy coming out of the antenna field and injects that energy into a spot in the atmosphere, specifically called the ionosphere. HARP is comprised of 180 antennas, approximately 72 feet tall, all linked together as, and the functions as one giant steering antenna. Steerable because it can aim millions of watts of ELF waves, extremely low frequency waves, into a tiny patch in the atmosphere. The United States began building its uh, array of antennas in 1992, in uh, one of them, in Gakona, Alaska, and was a joint effort originally of the Air Force and Navy with also cooperation of other academic institutions. Now, the amount of energy we are talking about being pumped into the atmosphere, in the specifically ionosphere, is 3.6 million watts. Now, to give you an idea of what this is, the largest legal AM radio station in America is 50,000 watts. This is set, HARP is 72,000 of these, injecting their entire output into a spot strategic spot in the atmosphere. That's going to do something. Now, the military says HARP is merely being used to study the physical and electrical properties and behavior of the ionosphere for civilian and defense purposes. But others are surfacing uh, that this intense energy being beamed into the sky by HARP actually heats up the atmosphere, and here's the first thing that it does. It does several things. And this is all documented. In fact, this is easy to document. You can, it's not just like conspiracyjoe.com or whatever. Uh, even the history channels have been exposing this stuff. I'm not saying that they're like, everything they say is true. But I'm just saying it's out there. So this isn't some, I know it sounds wacky, but this is really technology that's going on out there. Okay, but the first thing that it can do is it can modify the weather. Because you're messing with the atmosphere. Okay, the ionosphere. All right. Now, here's what he, he uh, says that. The, uh, HARP is one of several ELF wave transmitter, transmitters all over the globe. It's not just the one that the U.S. has. The United States owns, at least that we know of, at least three. Three of these. Uh, one in uh, Gakona, Alaska, one in Fairbanks, Alaska, and the other one in Arecibo, Puerto Rico. Russia has one near Vasilersk, wherever that is, and the European Union has one in uh, Tromso, Norway. But I think there's actually more than that. So these things are all over the world. Okay. Working in tandem, these transmitters could potentially alter weather anywhere in the world, changing the jet streams, uh, the whole course uh, entirely, triggering massive rainstorms or droughts. Uh, even hurricane steering would be possible by heating up the atmosphere and building up high-pressure domes that could deflect or change the course of hurricanes. Some experts have reported strange weather anomalies, including massive floods, hurricanes, and earthquakes. I wonder where they're coming from. 
A different source actually used the same technology, beamed it into the earth, and it triggered instantly an earthquake. And this is this guy, uh, and uh, a doctor, uh, uh, he said in 2001, uh, scientists at the Ames Research Center in Palo Alto, California, made a discovery. In studying more than 100 earthquakes with magnitudes of 5.0 or greater, they find that almost all of them were preceded by electrical disturbances in the ionosphere. Something happened in the ionosphere, and shortly after that, earthquake. That's interesting. Where does harp get beamed up to? The ionosphere. So he experienced uh, this firsthand, the LF waves, back in the 1980s. He was hired by an energy company to locate oil and gas using the same kind of ELF waves at a much lower frequency to carry out the search. It's called tomography. They go on the ground, see what's underneath there? Same kind of technology, the ELF waves. During one particular incident, okay, it actually triggered an earthquake. It was 1987 in Roseburg, Oregon, he says, and they're looking for oil and gas. And he said, setting up that day, uh, uh, he says, as soon as we energized it, turned it on, a 4 to 4.5 earthquake uh, happened. And uh, he says, we were so amazed about what we seemed to be literally a cause and effect. We get to an area that has a high propensity for earthquakes, uh, and we turn it on, and bang, an earthquake occurs. Same technology. Some believe Harp is responsible for triggering earthquakes in enemy territories like Iran, China, and parts of Afghanistan over the past three years. But that's not all. So you got weather modification, okay? You got earthquakes that it could trigger, okay? And you also have this crazy thing, like a, like a, like a death ray kind of thing, okay? Okay, now, uh, the same technology be, could be created a type of a death ray that could be beamed over the atmosphere, up travels the ionosphere, and down anywhere on the planet to an intended target. Uh, and they said, here's what can happen. It's when you heat up the ionosphere and you create that energy, it can discharge back down the radio beam and strike the earth. Listen to how powerful this thing coming down to the earth is. 100 times the energy released from a lightning bolt. He further explains that once a solar tap is formed, so you tap in there, and it discharges down to the earth, earth acts as a ground, okay, the ionosphere actually discharges the electrons and energy will come from all over the ionosphere and will strike the ground in a bolt, again, 100 times greater than any lightning bolt imaginable. Listen, and it won't just do it one time. It will strike that lightning bolt 100 times stronger than a lightning bolt 30 times per second until there's no longer any energy flow from the ionosphere through that tap. And when it strikes the ground, it will vaporize the ground, water, or whatever happens to hit, like three or four Mount St. Helens volcanoes going off each second that the bolt discharges. The whole thing is manufactured. You push a button, whoop, wherever one of these harp transmitters are up in the sky, bounces across the ionosphere, creates this solar tap, comes back down wherever you want to direct it on Earth. And you know what that would probably look like if you were on the Earth? You know, that would almost be like fire coming from the sky down to earth in full view of men. Where have I heard that before? And the whole thing is made up by technology, but most people don't even know about this technology. So when it happens, right? I mean, he's got this earpiece on. Okay, Bob, I just told him I'm the savior. Hit the button, quick. Boom. It's all a bunch of baloney, but it's all actual real technology. 
Isn't it wild? See, that's tucked away there in Revelation 13. And fire came down from the sky and deceived, and that's it's one, one of the signs he used to deceive the planet. We have that technology to do it. And it's not supernatural, but it appears that way to people who don't know the technology. One, one last thing. Um, harp can do one other thing. Harp, if you can read that up there, it can affect the human brain, and specifically with your emotion. Because it's a radio frequency, okay? The human body is what? It's like a battery. If you know that, we're like a metaphor, right? And so we are affected by frequencies, all right? The human mind is affected by radio frequency, and that's exactly what this device is. You can move the moods of large populations by using this same technology. Scientists have been experimenting with radio frequencies on animal brains for decades, okay? And other countries are doing it as well. And it has been discovered that ELF waves produced from HARP when targeted to selected areas can not only uh, engineer weather, but it can create mood changes affecting millions of people. The United States is bathed in the uh, magnetic field, so everyone can be affected. Uh, an entire artificial ground wave spreads over the USA just like a web. In 1963, and I remember talking about this stuff before I got saved, when I went to tech school in the late 80s in Sacramento. Because we learned about electromagnetism and the effects on the human body because we were told by our professors, you got to be careful of this stuff because if you get in front of it, some of the power, the literally will fry you, okay? And all this stuff, and it causes cancer and all this stuff. And there's the big thing, they all hush it up now, but power lines and all that stuff. And, zzz, and what does that do long-term to people? Does that cause cancer and all that stuff? They don't want to bring that out. Cell phones, because you're the same thing, right? That was a big thing. We used to talk about that way back then. But anyway, listen to this. In 1963, they explored the effects of, uh, Dr. Robert Beck explored the effects of external magnetic fields on brain waves. He exposed volunteers uh, to magnetic fields similar to magnetic storms found in, uh, in a similar response. The U.S. 60 hertz electrical power, right, everything we plug into, ELF uh, waves vibrate at the same frequency of the human brain. The U.K. 50 hertz Electricity emissions depress the thyroid gland. But here's what they found. You could start manipulating the human body, and they, they actually have it dialed in. At 7.3 hertz, so if you shoot a beam at somebody at 7.83 hertz, it made the person feel good, listen, produce an altered state. So a state of euphoria, but an altered state. Now, if you know anything we've talked about before in our spiritual studies, uh, and with the demonic, what, what's the whole goal of new age and meditation and, and things to open up to commune with the gods, or which are demons, right? It's to get into an altered state of consciousness. So you could produce that in somebody, which will make them susceptible to this kind of stuff at 7.3. Now, if you crank it up a little at 10.80 hertz, it causes riotous behavior. People go nuts. Hey, wouldn't that be great if you want to make a, if you wanted to have an excuse to, if you will, declare martial law? <laughs> Haven't we seen people do some really crazy stuff lately throughout our country? I wonder if it was manufactured. And they didn't even know. I don't know. Now, if you crank it down back the other way, listen, 6.6 .6 hertz, it causes depression. So here you have, you put all this together. Oh, oh and by the way, they have another device. The DARPA came out with this one, Okay. It's called the voice of God weapon. Okay, the voice of God weapon, okay, or the sonic projector, and what they do is they use basically the same kind of technology, uh, radio waves, and it basically shoots the, the beam, you basically speak into it, okay, and it shoots the beam and directs it at the person, and it turns the human skull into a speaker. The, the, the wild thing is, what it does is then it makes that sound that you're projecting, just like when you speak through a microphone, it gets projected through the sound system, comes out the speakers. 
Well, basically, the person speaking to this sonic projector device, and it, it, and it turns the human skull into that speaker. So the sound isn't coming from outside of you. It, it literally, it's coming from within your own head. So you think, that's why they call it the voice of God weapon. Because you could sit there, and I could beam it to bearing, bye, Pastor Billy, lunch. And he's going, okay, God, I'll do it. Because it's coming from, is it working, Barry? Hey, it works. I, I thought this was a marker. It's just, no, anyway. <laughs> but that's what, this is actual technology, right? This is actual technology. So you stir all this together. Lying signs and wonders. Some guy's going to dupe the whole planet into going along and worshiping the Antichrist. And one thing he's going to do, right? And of course, to the, what, do they, what do the occult say is going to happen? Some strange sound is going to be heard across the planet. And it's going to cause everybody to look upward. And then they're going to see this image. And then they're going to hear this voice inside their head. And it's going to be the Antichrist. But they think it's a good guy. Your Savior is here. And it will speak to them in their own language. But it sounds like it's coming from them in their own head. That it's their God. The Hindu God or the Muslim, right? And then all of a sudden, lest you doubt, boom, fire comes down from heaven. All this crazy stuff, earthquakes, whatever. Or, or you could even use that for leverage. You don't do what I say, I'll cause an earthquake. Because I... I'm God, but it's all manufactured, and he does cause an earthquake. I'll steer a hurricane your way, and it's all manufactured. It's all current technology. Well, it's a good sign we see no signs that we're living in the last days. Now, isn't that wild? Now, believe it or not, that's kind of just a little addendum to these two points. Next time, we'll get into the ninth issue of the Jewish people and why it's important to pay attention to what's going on to them as we continue our exciting journey on Judaism. Yay, that's right. All right, let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? 
The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail, and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. 
And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.